Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 108 is recorded live March 22nd, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here are some of the stories we're going to have this week. We have Thieves, thieves Evade Lasers, Bamboo Sharks, uh, we have some open pit mining talk, and then Dancers Making Waves. And as always, I'd like to welcome my co-hosts for this week. This week we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Excellent. And then we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing good. Thanks. Great, great. Now, how you guys liking this weather? Uh, unbelievable. Love, love it. Yeah, I, I I can remember we've had years where you would dip into the 80s a couple times and then get right back into the seasonal weather. But have, have do you ever remember a time where we've gone this long with unseasonable weather this early in the season? No, I think it's, what, nine days in a row now? It's yeah, yeah. Nine days in a row we've set record highs. Nine days. Anybody have any readings on the lake? Well, I flew over today looking for stuff. And it is flat, not a ripple out there. Oh. Uh, you can see only to the first sandbar. Uh, there's too much cloud cover to see much deeper than that. But uh, I wish I had a little boat to be looking for stuff. What scares me is, as I I kind of under the impression that you only have so many good days a year to get out in the lake, and we're wasting them right now. <laughs> you know, we're getting this good flat weather uh, when nobody's got boats in the water. Well, if this keeps up, I think we'll have boats in the water. Oh, certainly. Now, uh, anybody have any idea? Is this warming up the lake? It's got to be. I, I really don't know. I know that uh, Lake 16 was still 41 degrees Wednesday. Oh, you know somebody went in on Wednesday? Yep. Visibility was plus 30 feet. Well, 41, that's a little bit warmer, but, uh, you know, yeah, so it still shows that we're pretty early in the season yet. Yeah. Pawpaw is in the higher 40s. Higher 40s. Well, that's good. Yeah, we need some more sunny days to get those uh, lakes to warm up. Right now, the ground's still cold, but uh, it's coming. Yep. Well, we'll go ahead and get back to talking about scuba diving, but we'll venture into the news. So this first one is a follow-up of last week where somebody had stole the bell. And I'm going to be a little, a little bit rustier this week. Not that I'm not rusty normally, but many of these I haven't, I haven't read. I'm going off titles to see if they're any good. But uh, Underwater Thieves had to evade an array of laser systems that measure millimeter shafts in the uh, shipwreck and a 24-hour surveillance by the Coast Guard to be able to get away with that ship's bell. So uh, let's see, prosecutors have accused Captain Francisco, oh, that's, that's, who, that's who was the captain of the boat for sinking it. Uh, they said investigators are suspecting uh, more than one person was involved in stealing the heavy bell etched with the ship's name. Uh, you can only guess somebody took it as some sort of morbid memento, uh, the mayor said. Uh, in my mind, the missing bell is of no importance. We have the ship statue of the Madonna in our church, and that is much more symbolic meaning. So, Well, they talked about a meter-tall plaster statue. I'd rather have the bell myself. 
I think so. I think they're just trying to spin this a little bit to make it seem like it's of no importance. But yeah, if I if I had a choice, I I think I would uh, prefer to have the bell. It's I think probably, it's interesting the way they try to make the news, like laser systems you had to evade. I don't think that laser system you had to evade had anything to do with parameters of the bells. Well, yeah, because uh, I mean I don't picture that they've got laser beam <laughs> like laser beams going across the deck of the ship. I don't, I don't know what that was supposed to be. It sounds like they're just using the lasers to monitor any shifting of the wreck to see if there, you know, there still had been concern about it sliding off the edge. Oh, so so the, the lasers were probably not, our primary purpose was uh, just to measure shifting and if the wreck's breaking apart or something more right. than to protect surface themselves. lasers. Yeah. Surface lasers. Yeah, and they've got uh, the sur- surveillance, so that was most likely just cameras pointed out there. So if you were smart enough and went out in the dark without anything, you could get out to that bell. I would think so. Well, maybe they, they learned a little something from the bamboo sharks. Our next article up here. Uh, a study is saying that bamboo sharks can slow the respiration to avoid detention, detection. Uh Marine neuroecologist Ryan Kempster uh, says that the sharks use electrical sensors to detect predators, and they're able to cease respiration to avoid detection. Unlike most sharks, the species will develop completely independent from the mother inside an egg case. Uh, They need to survive for up to five months until they're strong enough to emerge, becoming very still when predators are near. Externally, they will stop any bodily movements, and they stop respiring. Under those sort of predatory conditions, a certain amount of animals are able to slow down their heart rates. Doesn't that mean to me at all that if you're an acute, hungry item, you're going to eat anything? So how does making your respiration last for your heartbeat down if you're a bottom eater or if you just eat whatever you find, dead or alive? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense how that's going to help me out. I think the only way is if it just if it does actually help them avoid being seen at all or even perceived as food. So maybe it's just a case of something goes right on by them. So is that is that kind of like when you play hide and seek as a kid and you hold your breath? <laughs> I mean that works for a little bit of time, but at some point there's a little there's some diminishing returns. Well, I don't know. Mac holds his breath all the time and uh, shallows his breathing, so we can't find him. <laughs> I just hide in the mud, though. Yeah. Yeah, just, that's true. Just, just go down below the surface of the the bottom. Yeah, we can always tell where you've been. <laughs> that's just true. Following the big plume. Well, he, he he he's learning from the squid. You know, just sends out a a dark trail behind him, and then there's no way we'll find him. Well, I notice you guys don't follow me and find the hutchies I leave behind. I I don't think they're there. I think you you take them off. <clears throat> I leave all sorts of stuff out there for you guys. Well, I'll have to get out with you as soon as the shoulder clears up. I still need my first hutchie. I can't believe you have not found a freaking hutchie yet. Hey, what can I tell you? Yeah, well, we also don't get quite the uh, the mud time that Matt gets. That, that's, that's true. That's a big part, right? There. Yeah, it, it's like searching for anything. You've got to, you know, if you if you're going to find it, let's say you got to put in a hundred hours to find a hutchie. You've got to put in that hundred hours. So. Yeah, Mac and then, definitely puts the bottom time in. Usually, when I'm in the water, there's a wreck underneath me. Yeah, so but that's we, true. We, we, I'm we, usually we, in the river, and you're you're out in the big lake. We, we've still been able to get some uh, some bottle time, but yeah, just not not quite the extent that Mac's been able to get into. But I'm just I'm I'm hoping that we've got stuff out of the way so that w- once we can get in the water, we'll be doing it. But 
uh, back on the news, we have a, a diver who, who recounts an ordeal where he was left behind. A diver who swam eight kilometers to shore in rough seas after losing contact with his boats. Uh, this is two uh, in two rocks. This was uh, uh, just to look like just this last weekend. Uh, the father of two, Darwin Wells, was fishing with a friend when he decided to go scuba diving for more fish. He surfaced almost an hour later. The 47-year-old knew he was in trouble. Calm waters he dove into had been whipped up by strong wind, and choppy seas had made it difficult seeing his anchored boat. The 47-year-old said he was only about 200 meters from the 6-meter vessel, but it took him almost 10 minutes to see it. Eventually, I spotted the boat and tried to swim toward it, but realized I was actually getting blown away, he said. When he had not returned to the boat by the time agreed, his friend Richard radioed for the, from the boat for help, and the sea rescue volunteers and water police and helicopters began the search. An experienced diver and a member of the water, let me see, what is that, Whitford's Volunteer Sea Rescue Group. He has known he should have stayed where he was in the water and wait for help, but he feared his chance of being rescued before nightfall was small because searchers would be looking for him out in the sun. It would be difficult with his black scuba gear and rough seas. I thought if I stay where I am, I am I'm not, uh, and I wait for searchers to find me. They have about three and a half hours before it gets dark, he recounted. If they didn't find me before it gets dark, then things are going to change dramatically. He decided to start swimming the shore. I tried to swim towards a boat, but I actually just swallowed a lot of water, and I was getting really worn out. I was not getting anywhere. I knew the shore was about eight kilometers away, and I thought, hey, I'm a, sw a strong swimmer. I'll I'm uh, going to have to go for the shore. He started kicking on his back, but after about 20 minutes, he ditched his scuba gear and started doing uh, freestyle. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like the a condensed version of the movie Open Water? Just a little bit. Yeah, because that's what, that's what always amazed me about that movie is it's like, you know, if you've got your BC, you can float a long time even when you get tired. So why would you ditch it? I mean, I might, I might if I had my tank empty, I might sacrifice the tank. And regulator. Yeah. He said, I could see the helicopters, and I tried stopping and holding my orange flippers up and waving them, but I would have been in the sun side, and I was looking to sun. You can't see anything. I think that's when you're going to have those little sausages, the big ones with the uh, radar reflector and exactly. the uh, mirror that goes with them. I think that would have been very helpful. Well, and then also, if uh, this is where a nice dive light, is there something that we could do to dive lights to make them more visible at night or even during the day? I, I, just, I just use a strobe. Yeah. Because I'm thinking at night, uh, with a nice bright dive light, you should, yeah, it almost might be even be easier to find them. Yeah. Provided they're looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he did one really good thing, though. He always said that he, he had a plan. What happens if? That's probably the key item that people really need to think about. Mm -hmm. Have a contingency plan and make sure, like he said, he always notifies them when he's going out. Yeah. Well, then he had somebody on the boat. Yeah. And that's the secondary part. Yeah. Good. So he he was, um, I mean, he was diving by himself, which many people are going to say, oh, no, no. But he was an experienced individual. He had planned for it and he had told them what to do in the case he didn't came up. So when he wasn't able to stick to his plan, then people were able to get a, uh, get some assistance going. Uh, he says he was while he was a strong swimmer, he was beginning to come worried he might not make it when he started being sick about three kilometers from shore. Now, three kilometers, that is making you think like you're almost there. You know, when you were out where he was at, which is eight kilometers, he said. Yeah. That looks remarkably close. But when you start getting to three kilometers, you got to feel like you're almost there. You can, you can see people. You can see stuff. He says, I, I, I swallowed so much seawater, I was getting violently ill, and I had cramps. There was something I couldn't control, and I was now thinking, I don't know if it was going to stop. He managed to keep swimming, but his ordeal did not end 
when he reached shore. The father, too, is almost five kilometers north of Two Rocks and started an agonizing run to the Volunteer Sea Rescue Base to let everyone know he was safe. Now, that that, that right there is amazing. Okay, you swam all the distance. Now you're going to run? Not me. Yeah, well, the same thing with me. I'll just be... the bank and gas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know if I'd be sitting. I'd, I'd, def, I'd, I'd be like in the movies where they just kind of, just kind of like wash up the shore and you just stay there for a moment. But I, I think I might have taken a, a little bit more leisurely pace. But you can see he was concerned that people were searching for him when they didn't need to anymore. Uh, Mr. Wells, who said he had always logged his boating trips to the Sea Rescue Volunteers, so he could not thank them and the water police enough for their efforts. The effort they put in, the decision in response to the water police is just beyond comprehension, he said. Uh, he had returned to work, but he said he was still recovering and planned to keep diving. Good for him. Excellent. So... You know, part of it is just uh, keeping your cool in your mind uh, about you. Well, that's self-reliance. Uh, if you can't save yourself, you shouldn't be out there. So we're we're glad he's all right, and there's something to be learned. Oh. You know, definitely becoming a little bit more visible. So we go from that into a letter to the editor up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is about on the verge of closing their last open pit iron mine. So the uh, state and local municipalities have been working for quite a while to get plans for another open pit mine to open, and it looks like it's been uh, turned down. Uh, so uh, Lake Wazee was the last open pit mine in Wisconsin. Oh, it, I guess it's, it is now closed. It says it is now a beautiful county park and not the theory of baseless or false assertions meant to scare voters. Of course, this is a letter to the editor, so you can get all the political slants in it. But uh, what he's basically pointing out is that they've taken this open pit mine and turned it to some uses. And the reason why it made it onto the show list is because they talk about, as you can guess, scuba diving. So uh, we love, I love those quarries and, and mines. If they become a spot for us to dive, that's all the better. So. Well, I think the point, of course, is, is from historical aspects, these guys are out, you know, cleaning up what they dug up. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, my God, you're going to have a big hole in the yard forever and ever. They're actually using it wisely and then restoring it or configuring it such that it's a useful item. Yeah. It's not a nice or a hazard. Well, and the one thing they're saying is that of dive locations in Wisconsin, they said this is some of the clearest water is this retired open pit mine. Uh, so they say it creates millions of dollars once they're closed in tourism revenue. Uh, they said that the new the new mine would have been 700 uh, jobs would have been created. But uh, so that's interesting. So if you're in Wisconsin and you have an opinion on it, you should be involved. Yeah, I, I whenever I see people saying that they don't want something, I mean, there's a case where some things don't belong in certain locations, and I can understand that. But we have to start thinking where where is iron going to come from? If you don't mine it, you don't have it. So. You know, these these people who don't want mines also have to think of, uh, you know, maybe they don't want the things that came from that mine. Okay, now th this this one should be a little bit more interesting. At least I like the title of it. Strictly Dancers Are Making Waves. Uh, this one, uh, uh, Chel Chelsea Haley has been making a splash by performing a strictly come dancing routine well submerged. The Waterloo Road actress and last year's contest winner, Harry Judd, can be seen taking their partners for an underwater turn. The dancers have slipped on scuba gear and goggles, along with the usual sequence for a sports release stunt. 
Uh, they perform their moves to take That's the Flood and Bobby Darren's Beyond the Sea. Chelsea says she's not exactly a water baby. I wouldn't say I'm a strong swimmer. I'm not keen on water either, she says. I like it in the bath, but that's about as far as it goes. When I first heard about Strictly Underwater, I thought it was going to be work. I didn't quite understand what they meant, and I didn't think it would work, but it does. So BBC One will be screening the uh, program for Sport Relief Night on Friday at 7 p.m. So I'm not I'm not sure what this is. There's a, there's a Did photo. you see the picture? Yeah, I see the, the photo. It doesn't. Uh, it looks not- like it's the bottom of a swimming pool with uh, an ascension ladder going down, and it looks quite interesting. So is this like dancing in the stars underwater? Well, at least two stars underwater. <laughs> I don't see any weights on her. I can't really tell what the scuba tank is, so she's pretty light on her feet. So I'm just curious how they keep, how they're staying down. What kind of weight do they have? Well, you know they're dancers, so they probably got like two percent body fat. That's probably true, too, unlike some people I know. Yeah. Myself included, of course. Hey, hey, hey. I represent that. <laughs> That's because we dive in cold water. We need That's that extra right. level. Yeah, we, that little, we need that layer of blubber to keep us warm. That, that thermal blanket of protection. But that's interesting. Uh, I'd like to see that show. It'd be interesting to see a couple of minutes of it anyway. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if it's going to sit on a DVR and build up a lot of episodes, but at least to see a few wouldn't be too bad. I can't figure out why the heads are floating in the water behind them, though. That's what it looks like. It looks like Did heads. you see it behind them to the right? Doesn't that look like a floating head? A little bit. Just a tad. Now here, so uh, if that's not enough, you know, if you, if you once you're done with the entertainment, uh, then we can look towards the end of the world. So, of course, like all good entrepreneurs, Cancun has decided they're going to cater to those end-of-the-world travelers you know, wouldn't that be? Isn't that kind of an interesting marketing ploy? I mean, you think of people who are going to throw a lot of money down. You know, don't worry about your mortgage next month. Just come down to Cancun and stay until the world ends. Yeah, so, and if it comes to an end, you made a good deal. If it yeah. didn't, well, yeah. Oops. Well, do you know? You realize that the Mayan calendar didn't take into account leap year. Oh, it didn't. No, so we're already past the date. By the way. <laughs> I gave a calculation on that the other day and said, well, when you toss in leap year, we'll pass the date. Yeah. Takes away somebody's thunder. Yeah, it sure does. So in this article, they're saying that that date is December 21st, marking the end of the 5,125-year cycle. As we close out the traditional Mayan calendar and welcome a new era, Cancun is embracing the new beginning which invites locals and guests to think differently, behave different by exploring the evolution of humanity and redefining our experience in the land of the Mayans. So they're not necessarily saying spend all your money, but come and have a new beginning. Hey, you know what? It got us to talk about it, so it didn't work all that bad. Well, you notice the other thing about that, don't you? What's that? This adults-only hotel. Oh, which one's that one? The Sun Palace. Go, I knew you had to bring it up really. Hey, what can I say? I'm just looking at the advertisements and the, the other pictures. You're not showing anybody else. Looks pretty decadent to me. Which which one's this one? I don't see it in here. I'm I'm sorry, I can't tell you where that is. But uh, oh goodness, you have to look for that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've got uh, you know one of the places I've been in Mexico. They had. Uh, and I'll see if I can find it. I was looking for that that adult hotel now. <laughs> Oh, there it is. Oh, there's the, wow. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the adult-only hotel has positioned the heart of Cancun's hotel zone. Uh, they offer private peak access, three infinity pools, a swim-up bar, an indoor pool with two jacuzzis. The property boasts four restaurants on site. 
So, oh, and there's another one too. Boy, there's a the whole collection of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the sunbathing and the nude beaches. I mean, some of that sounds really, really neat if you're a lawyer. Yes, yes. You know, we, uh, uh, Jim Kleeman, myself, his wife, my wife, we we went there, and we were a little surprised in the beach. You know, nobody really warned us of that. So, you know, you, you've got that double check, the, the that double head check for a moment. You're walking out on the beach, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Wow, Whoa. That, that 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 woman's wearing a skin-colored suit." <laughs> Is your neck better now? Uh, it's still a little pinched, but <laughs> yeah, that's the, the sunglasses coming off awful handy. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, the, the mirrored ones. You gotta have the mirrored ones. Yeah. So, oh, there's there's a whole discussion there. We'll have to we'll have to save that for another show. Um, and from Cancun and nude beaches, we're going into Diver Uncovers Submerged Artifact and Forgotten Alberta Communities. I figured this one would be interesting to you, Mac. Hey, I like everything. I always like to say, travel back in time. I wish. The chat room's asking, what about naked ladies? <laughs> um, we're going to we go. give them the, the uh, edited version. So this I'll one's never out of chat room back on topic now. <laughs> Calgary. So this must be Calgary, Canada, Alberta. Most most visitors to Lake Minnewanka uh, only see the natural beauty above the water. For diver Greg Mossfeld, the water's depths offer the chance to travel back in time. Flooded ruins from the 1888 Minnewanka Landing Township are just one of the underwater sites in British Columbia and Alberta that he has been exploring and documenting in recent years while running the Cal- Calgary Diving School, Mossman Scuba Ventures. I always imagine what it would have been like to live there at the term of the century, he said, the hardships for people faced who moved there from another country and were setting up enterprise, see how they created their homes. I found teapots under there, lanterns. I even found an old bike under there once covered in silt. While wrecks and saltwater rust quickly, the depths of freshwater lakes have low oxygen levels, cold and dark enough that algae does not form. Consequently, many artifacts covered in layers of silt but are otherwise unaffected by even 100 years underwater. Now that sounds like my kind of diving. That's it does. That's like a junkyard up north. Exactly. I like it because they found a 1929 Chevrolet car covered in silt, fully preserved. Oh, nice. And then they actually found a 1960s Ford Meteor in a nearby lake, and they actually did find the freaking box cars. Box cars. Nice. They said they returned to Crow's Nest Lake, found a trail of debris that led them to several 1920s boxcars on the bottom of the lake, but no sign of any moonshine containers. Hmm. That would still be pretty darn cool. Well, you know, when, when people want to know why we dive in cold water, I mean, this is it. Plus, it's the water we got. But he says, I use technology allows me to get to deeper sites, what recreational divers can't get to, so they're all untouched. He's using battery-powered scooters. Uh, I must believe that he's talking about probably doing some trimix diving, a little bit more technical. Oh, yeah. Most lakes will have something interesting at the bottom from the early years of settlement in western Canada. Now, he must be talking about there, that these are dammed-up lakes then. Also, he's talking about mixed-gas closed-circuit diving. Uh, he's using his rebreathers to stay at 400 feet for more than four hours. Holy cow. Can you think of his deco time? And when yeah. he says deeper sites, nobody else has been there. That's why. Yeah, well, four hundred feet for four hours. Four hundred feet for more. Um, I I I I should have a chart down here so we could figure out what that would be. But 
400, well, 400. I am quite sure he's he's talking collectively for the four hours because you stay 400, four hours at 400 feet, you're going to have a hell of a deco. And, of course, he's talking about, now oh, he can't even say, okay. he just takes pictures and leaves bubbles. If he's using a free breather, he's not even leaving bubbles. Right. Well, I, I, think what he, I think you're right. I think collectively, probably what he was referring to is that a rebreather that you've freshly packed has the capacity to stay at 400 feet for four hours from a system standpoint, not from a diver standpoint. Yeah, I like the last part because they're doing what we're doing. They're saying to anybody who reads any of this, if you have information about wrecked cars, trains, artifacts at the bottom of lakes in BC and Alberta, contact us. Exactly. Absolutely. If you, if you have, if you have relatives who talk about what they think is underneath there in the old days, we even we even like really good rumors. Excellent. So, yeah, he, they're, they're doing it right. And they give a list to uh, his website. Oh, and then there's some, uh, let, maybe we should go uh, Mossman Scuba, M-O-S-S-M-A-N-S-C-U-B.com. He says he's got some photos there, so I think I'm going to have to check that out, see what we can find. Yeah. Oh, there, there, there's a picture, the, the first post right there. They're, they're diving, uh, looks like one's in a, looks like a white dry suit. Well, he and does get around. And then the other one's in a diving concept. Yeah. Oh, he's got a picture of the derailed boxcars and crow's nests. And then he's got lake exploration of the meteor. There's that car, Mac. Yeah. That's a good viz, too. Yeah, not bad at all. I, I don't see a lot of particulars in the water. Well, you got to figure they're, they're going to be similar to like a Lake Superior type. You know, they're probably not being hit by invasive mussels and stuff. I mean, obviously not looking at that car. Well, he checked the trunk already because it's empty. It looked like about a six-body trunk, though. A six-body trunk? Now, yeah, is, is, is that is that trunk. like uh, is that like mafia measurements? Well, or something. You know, it could be booze in the trunk. Oh, got a couple of headlights out. Cops will probably stop you for that. Oh, yeah, it's, get a ticket. Flat tires. I can see that on the side. Excellent. They don't have any zebras there. They do have algae on the side, and you got some erosion, but uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, still remarkably preserved. I, I mean, that kind of yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I haven't really been putting too much north in that direction on my dive list, but that might be one that we need to look at. I know. I'm quite sure you're talking dry suit. Oh, certainly, certainly. Of course. Oh, yeah, on that one shot, it's got a good shot of his uh, scooter, and he's got a, it looks like a T-Evo, E-V-O mm-hmm. rig. You can see the rec reel, nice light. Yeah, that's a nice shot there. So we go from that to uh, back to where Mac likes to hide from us. Under the bottom, we have a vanished shipwreck secret has been revealed. The sunken vessel that was believed to have been lost again has been found. Uh, the CB Lockwood was missing in Lake Erie. Uh, it was on course from Duluth, Minnesota to Buffalo, battling a fury in October storm. The 285-foot wooden steamer sank uh, in 1920, crashing more than 70 feet below the, well, the waves just east of Cleveland. The location was very well known, not a mystery at all. Um, they had the exact location. It was 13 and a half miles north of Fairpoint Harbor. It could easily be found. Uh, they had X marks on the map. Uh, they had It had even been buoyed for uh, a few times. Uh, and then uh, when people went back to rediscover it years later, they couldn't find it. Uh, more than a century after its sinking, the use of sophisticated equipment, researchers recently determined that the Lockwood never moved. It was exactly where it had been recorded. It just sank below the surface. So they said it sank twice, once the bottom, and then once below the bottom. So what they're saying is that they believe this. And in a way, it makes sense, but it is also amazing at the same time. They think that earthquakes 
liquefied the bottom and caused it just to sink down. Do you think that's what it was, Mac? Not any time recent. Yeah, well, I don't know. You think about Mac's wreck. Oh, yeah. You know, it depends what it said. I mean, if it hit clay, it's going to stay there. Yep. If it hit sand or silt, eventually it's going to work its way down. Now, is the working, I mean, uh, yeah, earthquake could do that, but I think it'd be, I think more of a constant wave action would be more likely yeah. to move it so, down. In and 70 it's not feet that of water, either. yeah, in 70 feet of water, if you've got 20 or 30 feet of ship sitting up there, you know, it's going to constantly get rocked back and forth. There'll be a lot of wave action that'll move it. Well, then also, if you've got uh, something that big, wouldn't it cause the bottom to kind of raise up around it? Probably. It would It would crater itself in, and you'd have the crater rim around the edges. Okay, yeah, we, we've seen that in some of the shipwrecks we dive on. And there, too, once it starts that, you know, it becomes a place to grab and hold sand. You think about a snow fence. Yeah. You know, the snow always piles higher around the snow fence than it does anyplace else. So the sand's going to do the same thing. Yep. Well, like how just in our normal little lakes, how much silt we have, you're talking, yep. and it changes from location to location, but there are some sections out there, we know we have over six, seven foot of silt. Yep. Oh, easy, yeah. Yep. And that boat we were looking for on Indian Lake last week, that, or last summer, we had the one shot of it, perfect, didn't record the freaking location, couldn't find it, and then realized it was a sub-bottom shot that we had found. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's one thing nice about that uh Side scan it. It will do some sub bottom profiling. Yep. In that Especially kind of. Especially if it's in soft silt. Yeah. Yep. In that muck. Yep. And that's the same thing that they that they're discovering when they went back and looked at it, is they were getting sub bottom readings. Yep. Penguin mm. cam. Yeah. So uh, we go from some of the news articles. We go to a penguin cam. And this is one I looked at and I've completely forgot what it was. So we will paste that in the chat room. And then I've got another video, a live feed. So if you're not into the cuddly penguins, we have a walleye cam. Uh, now, the walleye cam, what you need to do, if you're listening to this and it's daytime, take a peek over there and take a look at it. What it reminded me of uh, was a river dive. I mean, it was in the river, and you could see what the walleye were running on the day I looked. I think it was this last weekend. You could see it. Uh, and that'd be a question. Somebody look at that in, of course, the, the answer is always changing, but say how much visibility you have. First thing is try and figure out if you can figure out the scale. And there's some clues if you watch it long enough, you'll see stuff move by, and that will give you an idea of the, the size and scale of the cam. And then you do see walleye. It, uh, only after about a minute of viewing it, I was able to see a couple walleye come into the frame and swim on. So if you want to know what river what a river dive looks like, uh, I'd say it's about the most accurate I've seen. That looks a lot like uh, up there at the Port Huron, as it, you know, you go through the, the bridge, go down St. Clair area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that looks like the pictures they have only if you substitute those for sturgeon. A couple of years ago, we were up there, and they had been up there with that huge monster camera. I can't think of the type of camera it is, but they were out there photographing the sturgeon migration. And it looked like that, only sturgeon a little bigger than that. I just pasted a, a link. Let me see if that's even a good link. No, it's not. Let me try something else. We're just located in there. Where is this Wolf River? It says Winnebago system, Lake Winnebago. And Wolf. Is that Canadian again? Uh, no, I think it's uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yep, I think that was a Wisconsin spot. Which is sort of interesting that we have so many things from Wisconsin today. It, was, it must be a Wisconsin day. Well, I got a phone call from Wisconsin today. Now, some divers up in Wisconsin coming down our neck of the woods, they contacted uh, Wolf Dive Shop, and they referred them to the dive club here. And uh, 
they were they're coming down in July and they want to know what kind of wrecks did we have in our area and where could they do some uh, penetration chips, you know, diving penetration. And then I invited them to join us in uh, September up in Sheboygan. Since they're going up there in August, I said go late and stay over. Now and did they we'll have some did they did they say where they were from? Oh uh, yeah, I've got their address in the other room. I know it was Wisconsin. That's if I even have a note over here. That's my other note, but I have the gentleman's name, and it was Wisconsin. Again, they're coming down here, and they want to do some wreck diving. Yeah. Well, I uh, got a kind of interesting story. Before my company got sold, uh, that's where our parent company was, was up in Wisconsin. And I get together with the other heads of departments, and we'd we'd meet, you know, every other month and get to chatting. And it wasn't until the last meeting, right before we got sold, that I was talking to one of the guys, uh, Andy. And I won't say his last name to protect the guilty. And he he had, he was a hardcore diver. All those meetings he and I had talked, we had never talked about diving, but he, he, he his club chartered a boat that wasn't every week, it was at least every month, and they would go out in Lake Michigan and dive, and that was out of Milwaukee. So a very active dive community up there. Yeah, and most of them are dry suit people. Yep, well, dry suit and rebreathers seem to be awful heady. Now, now he wasn't a rebreather diver, but you know, you've got a few of them, like you got Jitka and the Molly V, you know. Uh, yep. They're uh, shipwreck explorers. They're they're a lot of dry uh, rebreather divers, and they got some excellent wrecks up there. You know, if I had a dry suit and maybe a little bit of technical experience, I'd 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 that'd definitely be on the list to spend uh, quite a few days up there. Yeah. And then for some potentially cool gear, I pasted this last link in, and this is a robotic jellyfish. So uh, robotic jellyfish uh, is has the potential of running indefinitely, powers itself with seawater. Researchers are working on the robot, the robot uh, that looks and moves like a jellyfish. It's self-powered. Uh, last year, they had it working with batteries. This year, they've actually gone to fuel cells. The one thing is that they need a little bit of energy to keep the fuel cells going, so they're even looking at having a, a docking station. But I was looking at this. It looks a little bit of something like out of Aliens, doesn't it? It's got all the probes on the on it. Robotic jellyfish. Robotic jellyfish. Well, it made me think of that. how cool this would be is, is imagine you just get like a fleet of these. You have them where they can do like a little satellite uplimit, uh, uplink, and you just throw them in the lake and you have them do your, your shipwreck hunting for you. Whole fleet of them. They already are using not, not the jellyfish ones, but they've already got basically self-piloting submersibles. They're using to map the, the oceans with right now. Yeah, I, I've seen those where they're like, well, the robo tunas or they're almost like torpedoes where they'll they'll go yep. up and down the column. They 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 use the the change in buoyancy and they can actually generate power that way. But it's interesting because all the data they're being able to feed it and maintain it. But they're doing not only the bottom, but they're doing sub profiling also. And a lot of these are not just looking for oil and gas and stuff. They're looking for minerals. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you're going to get a hit on a ship. If it's got gold and silver, you're definitely going to get a hit on that ship. But you got to have the money to make money. Oh, yeah. So that does it for scuba in the news. So we'll talk about some, some dives. Now, I didn't get any dives in this weekend. Did you happen to get out, Mac? No, I, I uh, got other items for this week. But I know one of our club members did get to 16 yesterday. So amazing visibility again. Uh, really did not need lights, even at the bottom. 
but it was on the chilly side at 41 for a wetsuit. But since nobody there had a wetsuit, didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So that, but that's actually a little warmer than when we were there just a little over a week ago. Every degree counts. It does. Well, and that's early in the year. I mean, we are March 22nd. I am going to bet that there has been ice and people ice diving on the 22nd before. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember if it was last year or the year before we had snow on Easter, remember? Oh, yeah. It really made it easy to, to do the egg to just stop in the freaking snow back. Yeah. And if you left them white, it was even harder for the kids. That was great. Not that I would do that, of course. No, no. So so we did have somebody get a dive in. Now, yeah. how was the uh, – we also had a mud club meeting that I was unable to make on Tuesday. How'd that meeting go? Well, believe it or not, one of the unusual ones in that the whole campus was locked up. <laughs> so we had an outdoors meeting. Fortunately, the weather was very nice. And we sat around the fountain and uh, conducted our business outside. I think the highlight was actually Jim – because he brought that scuba tank, that how to build it yourself from the 50s. Yes. And I left that in the car. So at the end of the meeting, we took around to the end of his car to take a look at it. Now, those guys are a freaking diehard. The ones who built that tank? Who were divers in the old days. Yes. Uh, we had wolves last week, too. And uh, on Sunday, I was down there. Uh, Larry and, and uh, Ken was there, uh, showed up. I was there. Uh, then we had some of the older members, uh, Bill and Debbie Tenner came by, and then Mr. Wolf came through. And we got to talking to him, like, how did you actually get started? Because everybody there bought their gear from him back in the late 60s <laughs> and early 70s. And it's like, duh, we really never realized how he got started in that business. It was interesting as heck. And uh, he actually was very pleased that the club has been on almost 40 years and that people he trained and supplied gear with are still diving. He was very, very pleased with that and said, if it wasn't for the old dog staying in it, I think he thinks that we'd lose a lot of that stuff. And his big comment was he believes part of the, the reason you don't have people stay in and get the young people is because you can't afford the equipment. Because he said when he started, and, and the guys done it, everybody bought used gear from him. We paid it on time. So, you know, after a couple of months or during the winter, you could pay mm-hmm. towards the spring, you could get your gear. But, you know, you had a tank and a regulator. There was no BCs. There was no safety vest. There was no SMGs. And you had to be a little bit of a little crazy. But self-reliance was taught in most of the classes then because uh, he taught classes. And he says basically what he taught was self-reliance. And when you finish their classes, it's like the open water is nowadays, the advanced open water. That used to be part of what you got, and uh, it was really interesting talking to him, and it would be even better to get that on tape next time because that's a lot of history that's going to be lost. Yeah, that, that would be it. I'd be interested in, you know, maybe we could work up something where we could record, you know, some of these old stories. Yeah, because, that, 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 you know, I, I've had some situations in the last couple of weeks where I had a lot of time to think about stuff like that, you know. All our history, not only the physical history, but the people, you know, the stories yeah. and the experiences they have. You know, there's just stuff that doesn't get written down. When it does, it's not quite the same as hearing it firsthand from somebody who lived it. So, but, and, uh, and if you knew the people and you didn't realize something. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you got to think about that. You know, some of these stores, we just they've just been there forever. I mean, the two remaining stores, or I guess you could only say that, you know, the one that moved out of the area or out of the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, they've, they've all been long-time stores. I mean, there's always been a couple stores that come and go, but those are have been the long-time stores. So they've had an interesting perspective 
of how they can see things that have changed. And it makes you wonder if this focus on dive travel over people diving, you know, because in 30 years ago, if you made the pitch that everybody's got to go to Fiji, I mean, what percent of the divers could actually afford that type of trip? Yeah, not. Right. So if you focused on that, there just wasn't anybody who could do it or very few. So, uh, yeah, so maybe that's that's what the, the diving industry is missing is that, that, that you know, what, what might work for the large metropolitan rich areas isn't going to be the same as what some of these other dive shops have to do. But they're also saying that with the advent of some of the newer gear, the buoyancy compensators, redundancy of equipment, it is safer. And I, I have to admit, I think it's much safer with the extra equipment, even though it is costly. But you do have people who are diving now that could never have dove then because you have to, you, you should have been able to swim very well in the older days. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be, like his comment was, if you couldn't swim 600 feet, which is not that far, you'd figure, you know, 200 yards with your full gear on back to shore, you shouldn't be diving. And I think a lot of times nowadays, we're not as in a good a shape as some of those guys were. You hop off a boat, you're going to go down, come up, and you're not swimming anywhere, basically. It's like somebody helps you put your gear on, gets the gear off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the stress of the dive is not the same. Yeah. But by the same token, how many millions of people do you have diving now, and how many hundreds of thousands did you do then, if that many? It's it's, it's plus and minus, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I, I think you know, the technology has to advance, and we have to do better. And actually, I see diving getting to be more expensive. So maybe the dive industry needs to look at it differently. Maybe there needs to be a a buyback program or a lease or something. You know, what's some way of retaining the value of that? So, you know, you know, and there has to be a way for these dive shops to make money too. I mean, yeah. we're not gonna, we're not going to solve it today on the show, but uh, you know, they do have to make a living. But then also has to be something that people afford. Well, you know, like you, you were talking about your own business plan now. You just said something out loud. Are you paying attention to what you just said? What I say? A buyback program. Yeah. Why not still use gear like I always bought and pass savings to the new guy? And then when the guy gets technically proficient, what do you want? He wants a rebreather if he's young. Yeah. Well, I I think you know, and and maybe we need to get somebody on who's a, who's currently a a dive shop owner. But uh, you've you've probably got volumes you got to hit with those manufacturers. You, know, you you're gonna if you're not turning over so many new regulators a year, what are they gonna do to your ability to sell their gear? You, know, you have to hit volume. So you know, do you want to buy something back and then sell that at at half price to the next you know next new diver, or do you want to hope that stuff just disintegrates and then you get to sell everybody brand new? Or have a just like the Volkswagen was originally the people's car, have the people's dive regulator that is solid, works fine, lasts long time. And doesn't change in four freaking years, so you can get O-rings and diaphragms <laughs> and parts that you can't get for the new gear that I've got eight years old and can't refurbish. Now you've got uh, gear that you can't get parts for that is eight years old. Absolutely. Oh, well, that that would that would frost me a little bit. Yeah, but again, what's what's wrong with having people's equipment? So you have a good quality regulator. You know what I'm saying, and it, yeah. it would hold its value, and you'd have parts all the time. And if, if you had an ease of parts and you had a lot of them, it seems like the parts would be cheaper. I mean, that's what they always tell me, capitalization, right? If you've got lots of stuff, you can make the price go down. Now, do you think we're just a little bit jaded because we're up north? I mean, if, if, if well, just 
you know, the, the regulator that I buy to be able to do ice dives and dive depth in Lake Michigan is a little bit more substantial than a, than a warm water regulator that somebody can go and have fun with in Florida. I mean, is, is that part of it? You know, I'm, you know, they're buying a three mil, I'm buying a seven mil, you know, we're buying dry suits, you know, they actually can show some skin. That's part of it, I reckon. Yeah. So maybe we've got it just a little bit steeper of a, of a, climb then plus of it is just getting somebody in the water i mean how many how many of our friends when they find out that we dive up here even in the summer are going oh that i that's just the water's just too cold for me there's no way i could stay yeah. down that long you that usually, all the time for people you yeah know, it's usually it. too cold there's no visibility so what are you going to see yeah. that's that's usually what i hear so just, and, just yeah. but then once you get them on a wreck you know i i don't think of anyone i've ever taken to a wreck that hasn't wanted to go back and see more wrecks Right, sure. Larry, years ago, was almost getting out of the diving. Then they started going to wreck stuff, and it's like, okay, never mind. The wreck is the thing. Yeah, well, the same thing happened with Bob. You know, Bob, the rebreather diver. You know, mm-hmm. they, he had done all these little inland lakes. You know, any puddle deep enough to dive in, they had been diving, and he was actually getting burned out. And it wasn't until he started doing wreck diving that that got him re-energized. You know, he, he got to a point where, you know, he went and bought a boat, you know, went and bought a rebreather. You know, he went through his tech diving courses, you know, now does tri-mix 300 plus foot dives. You know, it, 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 as obsessed as we are, if you're only taking a small portion of the, the dive opportunities, you're, you eventually get tired of it. Well, or not diving the river and not diving ponds and lakes. Mm-hmm. I just don't dive Lake Michigan or, you know, we like fast water, slow yep. water, quarries. We dive everything. Exactly. Except we don't have any caves up here. That I no. know of yet. Well, we got Bear Cave. Yeah, but that's not underwater. Isn't there part of that that's got water in it? I wonder. I, I need to go. You know, the one of the one of two caves in Michigan. It's uh, less than two miles from my house, and I have to say I've never been in it. Really, I didn't know there was a cave in Michigan. Yeah, Bear Cave, right here, Bering County, Redbud wow. Trail. Yeah, right on the way to Bury to um, Buchanan. Yeah, if you never if you ride down, down the St. Joe River about halfway to Buchanan, you can you you look and you can see it. It's on the west side of the river. Yeah, there's lights actually in it, and you can see they've got uh, it's there's a campground that you can stay at the campground, and then you walk down these steps, and then they've got kind of a dock that goes into the cave. Hmm. So yeah, you've got used that. To it was part of the Underground Railroad back years and years and years ago. Well, that that'd make sense. Even if it wasn't, I mean, it it'd be easy enough where you could see that. You got yep. that cave, and then there's another really small cave on Mackinac Island. But those are the only two oh, that. That's I'm right. On. I did hear did hear about one on Mackinac. Yeah. But you know, you think about uh, Singer Lake and what's the other lake where supposedly the there's an underwater stream between the two. I mean, the problem yes. is here you've got so much silt. Uh, you know, you think about the underwater streams we've got, and yeah, there are a lot of, there probably is places to go from one to another or caves if you wanted to follow these streams, stream trails back. But, uh, you know, they're, it's so dark and silty in those, you, you silt out and you lose all visibility because there's not enough flow of fresh water to really keep them clean. Right, right. So, I mean, there's a potential that there's, there's more out there. We just don't know about them. You know, who knows? Somebody, you know, we, we have sinkholes, so... With sinkholes yeah. means that there's caves somewhere. Yeah. That's why I like to do the river because you can find washouts under the river, or not under the river, but under the embankment. But you just got to make sure you realize you went into one so you can get the hell back out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That little dive flag that pops down under the water doesn't help you out, guys. You no. need that big inner tube that ain't coming down. <laughs>
Well, at least everybody on shore can see when I've disappeared in the hole because the flag is, is getting sucked on. Yeah. But this weather, it is getting me so anxious. I'm I'm trying to, I think this weekend's going to be my get the yard cleaned up. And then uh, the following weekend is on my way to Florida to get some diving in. And I hear Bob, he's he's already, he's got his boat back. So as soon as he's done with the nuclear plant outage, he's going to have the boat in the water. Well, he can get his boat in the water early because it's an outboard. It takes yeah. me a while to, you know, with an inboard, i got to make sure we're not going to have any more freezing nights. Yeah, yeah. he was he was ready to get in. Uh, and then I was talking to Jim Kleeman, and he was he was the same way. He was he he almost put the boat in the water last week, but he just, he the same as you're saying, he just wasn't sure that we'd not have a freeze. He didn't want to have to re-winterize the boat after going for a spin. Do you, do you realize that Bob won a trip down to the south, down to the warm, warm waters at our world underwater? I heard that. I heard that. Yeah, I'm Did you kind also of... hear that uh, Mr. Richard won a trip down there? You know, really? I want to see... didn't say anything about that, did he? Say again? Oh, yeah, he did say something about that. Uh, yes, at, at the meeting uh, over at Romus. Yeah, I, it sounded like it was more of a, a come on trip, but hey, well, somebody wants to send me to somebody wants to send me to the Bahamas. I'll listen to a two hour pitch about buying a condo. Uh, most of those trips, so don't be here for your tickets. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be some scam to it. I, I talked to Bob a little bit about it, and he's kind of of the same way. But you know, he's he's flexible enough. If they're going to get a get him down there for a trip, and he doesn't have to sign anything, he's all for it. So. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but that was, uh, you know, the, to know two people who won the same trip, it definitely has that ring of of something. Or maybe they have we'll such a out. maybe they have such a guaranteed thing that they can actually make money by giving trips away. Like well, they you'll hear about it just, on this program, right? Yeah, <laughs> whether it's real or whether it's a scam, we'll tell you either way. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, What's we should. Parents gonna give away a trip? No. no. Episode one ten, new trip? No. <laughs> No, Darren's not giving away a trip. Uh, Darren's saving for a dry suit, which Episode is Florida. Episode one eleven. Pick your number one one one. Yeah, and I but I have a here's here's a prediction. I think I I will before Memorial Day have a dry suit. Does that seem possible? Memorial Day. Uh-oh. Memorial Day. So sure, line in the sand. What line, year? What year? Well, now you're getting. <laughs> uh, now you're getting them down. Yeah. Now 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 you're narrowing it. Uh, let's out. Let uh, Memorial Day this year, 2012. You heard it here, folks. Uh, the the chat room just going on and on. What what are they saying about losing the chat room? Well, I keep asking people in the chat room where they're from or say hello to them, and as soon as I mention their name, they disappear. You scare them away. But uh, we have a a great chat room going on tonight. If you're not listening live, you, you need to give it a try sometime. We've we've got Dave who's even called in. You can do it on the phone if you're traveling down the road and you've got one of those unlimited minute plans. You can dive. You can dive. You can dial in to talk to you and listen to the show live. Get everything bef- before your friends. Uh, also, uh, make sure you, you head on over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We have a, quite a few interesting discussions going on. And, and go ahead and scroll through the comments. If you comment to something uh, farther on down the list, we'll still talk about it. Uh, we're gonna we're, That's one of the new things that we're going to do. Uh, we had uh, a discussion going on uh, programs, great TV shows that talked about diving and uh, Mark Potter was talking about a great TV series from 1985 through 89, and this is probably right in my college years, uh, which is why I might not remember it, but it said they had a show called The Last Frontier, Shipwrecks, Graveyards of the Deep. The series followed 
John Stoneman, a Canadian filmmaker and underwater buff, exploring various shipwrecks. It has the usual uh, environmental message, but it was enjoyable. I picked it up at uh, Costco three or four years ago, five CDs, 20 episodes, lots of dive footage. So excellent. That's that's what I'm going to have to search and see if I can find. You know, from, from that point in time, it, visibility had to have been quite a bit different. That would put it at pre-muscle uh, days, wouldn't it? Yes, one would think so. Okay. Also, we love those five-star reviews. So if you get a chance, you can go to iTunes, you subscribe. Actually, uh, last week was one of our last two weeks have been some of our busiest weeks that the podcast has had to date. Uh, really threw the numbers up. I'm, I'm going to have to dig into them to see what, what's going on, but we had some excellent numbers. So I appreciate everybody. Even if you're not listening live, downloading the show is a great help. Let us know what you want. If you want to give us some feedback, you can do that on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. Uh, you can send us an email at the show at scubaobsessed.com. And we'll get back. We do read every email, and I think I get to them. If, if for some reason you, you put an email in there and you don't hear back from me in a week, I usually will say thank you or something. Send it again because it must have gotten lost in the mix. But uh, we appreciate that feedback. We appreciate you listening. I think we got some of the best fans in the world. And we're going to have to do something. I want to organize uh, some sort of dive. If we don't do it this summer, we'll do one next summer for sure. We'll get a Scuba Obsessed Michigan podcaster dive going. Also, since I mentioned other shows, you need to if you if you haven't had a chance to check out some of the other Michigan podcasts, listen to Divers Sync. Our friend Rich Senowick, he does a show every week on typically Tuesday nights, but uh, he's he's actually had him on Mondays, Wednesdays, and even opposite us on Thursdays. So he's got an excellent podcast, and also we have Talking Scuba, which is a video podcast produced here in Michigan. Has some excellent dive footage and. Uh, talking to them last time, they've got so much footage, you're going to have to be putting out more episodes. So make sure you're following their link as well. You guys got anything else to pitch before we get to that time of the show? No, I'm just anxiously awaiting the uh, good time here coming up. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. So how about you, Jim? You got anything to say before we we descend into the depths? I'm afraid if I say anything, more people are going to bail out of the talk group. Okay, well, I, and I also appreciate everybody sending uh, sending us jokes. I might not read them the first week that you send them to because we want to make sure they're properly aged. But uh, you know, we'll we'll if they if they're good or bad or bad good. You know, I I don't know if they're too good. Would we not read them? I mean, well, they ferment. Not, they usually sort of evolve. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of like fresh fruit. You know, if you let it sit there long enough, it's it's not fresh anymore. So uh, so, so far, we haven't had a joke so good that we won't tell it. <laughs> so uh, everybody hold on here we go an elderly diver in florida owned a large farm for several years he had a large pond in the back it was properly shaped for swimming so he fixed it up with a nice picnic tables horseshoe co- court some orange and lime trees one evening the old diver decided to go down to the pond he hadn't been there in a while and look it over he grabbed a five gallon bucket to bring back some fruit as he neared the pond he heard voices shouting and laughing with glee as he came closer, he saw a bunch of young women skinny-dipping in his pond. He made the women aware of his presence, and they all went into the deep end. One of the women shelled, yelled back at him, We're not coming out until you leave. The old diver frowned. Ah, I didn't come down here to watch you ladies swim naked or make you get out of the pond naked. Holding the bucket up, he said, I'm just here to feed the alligator. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
see. He, 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 he was thinking on his feet there. We need video on that one, though. Yeah, we, we need something to be able to visualize it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Video would be really good. So, uh, yeah, that, that's something that's down the road for the show. We'll have to get in the video. But until then, uh, why don't you go out there and get wet? And stay safe. And remember, no alligators were harmed in the making of the show. That's next week's episode. Next week's. Call recording has been completed. Well, I just got back in time to get online tonight. Yeah, we were wondering where you were.